Howdy folks, today we're going to learn how you can create Hollywood quality sci-fi imagery with just a few toys with one of the best after this. Welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We've spent literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time, giving you access to knowledge and expertise that's not available anywhere else. As always, I'm your host Kirsten Lutz, and without further ado, let's give it up for today's special guest, the award-winning toy photographer, fellow Star Wars nerd and sci-fi aficionado, Jesse Fireisen. Jesse, how are you, man? Hey, Kirsten. Good to be here, man. Doing great. Fantastic. Man, it's uh, good to have you on the show. Um, it's, yeah. it's taken, taken a little while. Happy to be here. Yeah, that's true. We did have a couple of miscommunications there in the early days, but here yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, um, and then I also, I, got, I totally got confused with your time zone as well, because I, for some reason, oh. I I just, uh, I got the, yeah, I got central time kind of messed up in my head. So <laughs> anyway, well, we yeah, not only do we're you have here. central time, then you have like central daylight savings time and central standard time. And it gets, I confuses me as well. So I totally understand. Yeah. It's great to have you in the show, man. Um, yeah, your images, actually, I tell you what, before we get into your images, just sure. give our listeners and viewers of the, the, uh, this sort of helicopter view of what you do. Yeah, sure. So, uh, my name is Jesse Fires and, um, I am a graphic designer, video editor by day and, uh, toy photographer at night. I've kind of been in photography for over a decade. Well, quite a bit of my life actually, but, um, over the past couple of years, just before COVID, um, I was experimenting with just different genres of photography, having a good time doing landscape, astrophotography, macro, um, and product photography. Um, and then I one day put a Darth Vader, a kind of a nice 12 inch tall, very detailed Darth Vader figure in front of the camera under the guise of product photography. Um, and I put it in front of the camera and took some pictures of it. And after the fact, looking at it, I'm like, man, this actually looks really cool and almost realistic. It almost looked like someone in cosplay or someone in the real outfit. Um, so then I started going down the road of grabbing, you know, I've always been a geek and kind of a collector and of those sorts of things. So I had a bunch of pop culture things around and just started putting different things in front of the camera. And next thing I know, going out, starting to share it online and discovering that there's an entire community out there of toy photographers. Um, and I don't know how I didn't realize this sooner. I mean, toys and photography, like on paper, they just go right together for me. And I don't know how I went this, this long in my life without realizing it. So, so yeah, I just kind of really got into this hobby. And one, one time I, I sort of set a, a, a personal goal or challenge to myself. I'm like, okay, I'm going to do a shoot every week. I'm going to try to share, share something once a week and just try to stick to that cadence, you know? Um, and I started doing that and it just sort of forced me into this groove and this, this cadence of doing something every week, which forced me to constantly try to learn new things, top myself, grab a different figure. Um, I try not to repeat myself too often. I, you know, I try to do a different figure, a different scene, different lighting, different dominant color, different everything every time. Not to say I don't repeat myself here and there, but um, yeah. And it just started getting attention and people started enjoying it and uh, started joining different toy photography and regular photography communities online. And uh, it's been great. It's just been great meeting new people and, and getting to share this love of photography and, and toys and pop culture and all that, all that sort of thing. So it's, it's been really fun. I completely understand what you mean about like not really realizing how awesome toy photography really is. And, you know, I, I mean, I really speak from experience there because I had exactly the same experience. You know, I never really thought about it until I saw your imagery and Dave DeBaramaker's um, imagery. Absolutely. And got, Absolutely. What the heck is that? Yep. Yep. <laughs> you know, yeah, it, I can't believe I didn't think of it because, uh, so I'm a child of the eighties. So I grew up watching all the old classics, you know, like star Wars, star Trek, aliens, predator, all that sort of thing, Terminator. And it's like those, you know, like star Wars, those movies were created with, you know, optical effects. They were putting some, they were putting models in front of the camera, which are not that far off from today's toys. Today's toys are so detailed. So that's kind of where I, where I sort of dove into this from a mindset standpoint, I didn't really initially think of them as toys. I thought of them as, well, this is just like the studio models used in, in filming. So I, I kind of look at a lot of my photography 
from that angle, you know, I feel like I'm doing the same thing people from ILM were doing in the early eighties or late seventies and sort of thing. And, but now we can do it digitally and, and, you know, add in our Photoshop effects and Boris effects and all, all the sort of plugins and, and cool effects that we have nowadays. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun genre and it's a great community too, of all online communities. The toy photography community might be one of the most positive, um, very helpful. Everyone's helping each other out and, and, you know, and picking each other up and stuff. And it's, it's a great community. It really is. And we'll talk about some of the plugins and like, and software packages, you know, that yeah. you just mentioned, um, in a minute, but I want to sort of start by, by talking about the actual models, because you know, I think we have a lot in common there in the sense that, you know, I grew up during the eighties too. And, and I've always loved, you know, movies like star Wars, for example, and I've always yeah. been fascinated by the way they shot these practical models and actually to an extent, and my kids would probably call me totally old school, but to an extent, I actually really, I sort of prefer the physicality of those physical models that they used, you know, the way the lighting was a lot more realistic and not too stylized, you know, and uh, there was just something, there was something about those models, especially, I think, especially in the original Star Wars trilogy, some of those, you know, when the, like when the Star Destroyer comes in the opening shot and there's a pan shot, you know, for example, that's, yep. I mean, it has so much weight to it. I mean, cause you can really yeah. like feel the, you know, and yes, you know, some of the in inverted commas, you know, the, the sort of uh, some of the other effects maybe wouldn't necessarily stand up that much nowadays, you know, like, yeah, I don't know, you know, the laser beams and all that kind of stuff, maybe, but the actual models and those miniatures that they use, I mean, I, I call them miniatures. There was actually, I'll tell you what, um, a couple of years ago, there was an exhibition, a Star Wars exhibition in London at the O2. And it was, uh, it, was uh, it was like, it's incredible. It was costumes and models and yep. a lot of the yep. actual um, Star Wars um, spaceship models, including yeah. the big Star Destroyer. And it was just mind-blowing seeing the detail on that. Incredible. Yes, I, I think I know exactly that show you're talking about because they did a tour and they came to, I, I'm about an hour away from downtown Minneapolis, St. Paul, for anyone who know, might, might know that area in Minnesota. Um, yeah, they came through the Science Museum a decade or so ago, I think a similar exhibit, and we got to see some of the models. And I wish... I wish I would have took more photographs. Now I took some, I had my camera, but I didn't quite know what I was doing at the time, you know? And yeah, it's, it's so, it's fascinating to see that stuff up close because you kind of realize they're, they're kind of in rough shape. They're not quite as, you know, you can see some blue lines and you can see some things are crooked here and there, you know, but that just gives it such character. And, and it, it sort of taught me to look at things like what you see in real life, the camera sees differently. Um, and, and, and there's almost a, there's almost a, how do I explain it? Like sometimes you can look at a certain toy and realize that's going to look great on camera. It looks a little, the paint's a little off here and there, but you know, with the right lighting, I bet you it'll look really good on camera. So it's, you know, like you said, all those models are so, it's really cool how they did that stuff. And, and nowadays with CG, everything being computer generated, it. You know, something like, uh, I can't remember where I heard the story. I'm sure it was some sort of ILM behind the scenes thing. Uh, talking about Darth Vader's helmet, you know, back, if you were to CG render Darth Vader's, Vader's helmet now, it's this perfectly sheen, smooth, black surface with all the perfect lighting and reflections from what's around it. But the original filming costumes, you know, there were little scuffs and scratches and things weren't perfect. And that just gives it that character. So to do that in CG, you have to, the computer renders everything absolutely perfectly. You have to actually go in and, and design and engineer scratches and scuffs and, and imperfections. You have to really design that stuff in. Where back then with the models, it all just, it was all there. It was all handcrafted. It was all there. And it just gave everything so much character. Um, and yeah. especially with the Darth Vader helmet, there are a, a number of scenes where you can see fingerprints in there where they obviously they've been handling <laughs> yep. The helmet, and then in one in one scene, yeah. it's perfectly polished, and then it cuts it cuts away, and it cuts back, and there's lots of fingerprints on it. You're gonna go, all right, okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and and even even the paint of the helmet. I I only recently learned um, that Darth Vader's helmet, like a lot of the face mask, wasn't actually black. There were certain parts that were darker grays, just to help give it definition during cer certain lighting. So you think of it as absolute black, but it was actually 
part black, part dark gray to give it some dimension in things, which is, uh, I, I just love all that behind the scenes stuff. I could go for, for hours yeah, yeah. learning about it's, all that stuff. I love it. I know. And you know, what, what fascinated me the most, um, when I went to that exhibition is to basically see how these, you know, how these models are put together, because a lot of the time you look at something, you go like, wait a minute, that's a felt pen cap. Yeah. Like, that's an yeah. Allen key. Yep. <laughs> you know, what is yep. that? Yeah. You know, and yeah, when they, oh, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> No, 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 it's it's just it's just amazing, you know, the ingenuity of those model builders. That's what I mean. You know, it's like very on in, on film. Of course, you'd never you'd never recognize that, but when you actually see the model and you have the opportunity to walk around it and look at it close up, you very quickly realize they were using like, everything. You know, everything they could get their hands on that would look good, put it on there, spray yeah. it. You know? Absolutely, yeah. They, they yeah they often talk about kit bashing where they go and they just buy all sorts of model kits, all sorts of like, you know, like you'd be looking at a spaceship and you look at the little parts and oh that's that's the wheel from a world war two tank or something, you know, in a sequence, you know, all the things they would kind of cannibalize from other models to put that stuff together. And, and now they do that digitally. I hear they, um, all those little tiny parts, I believe they call them greeblies, just little miscellaneous parts from model kits. And now they've digitally created like a greebly library where they're, you know, making new ships in, in CG and stuff. And they're pulling all these parts and kind of similar, similarly to the way they used to do it. But yeah, all, all that model making stuff is fascinating. And of course, you know, the same thing is true for armor. Like if you think of like, you know, different characters' armors, I mean, you, you, know, you mm -hmm. mentioned Darth Vader, but you can think of like Boba Fett, for example, you know, or the Mandalorian, like there's a lot of detail in these armors and yet they're sort of put together. I mean, they look like they're being put together out of like, you know, crude steel plates, you know, bolded yep. together. Yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. Yeah. And, and nowadays here we are with uh, toy manufacturers and model. I've I use some models. I'm wanting to get more into model building myself. I've been slowly getting a collection, um, but they're all sitting in boxes. <laughs> Most of them are sitting in boxes right now. Kind of, I'm almost scared to get started because I don't want to ruin them. I, I've dabbled in a couple of them. Actually, there's a Star Destroyer over here next to me. But um, yeah, I want to get into more model making and, and shooting those models the way they used to. I, I think that's really fun. And it just, eh, they look so great. They really do. <sighs> Okay, so let's just have a look at the first image that I picked um, for us to have a look at today. Um, let's just pick the the starter story image. We've got a oh, starter absolutely. story image. Um, it's, it's absolutely incredible. And uh, since we're talking about spaceships per se and models, let's just sure, let's start segue. with that one. But in this particular um, in this particular one, I'm just going to describe it for those audio listeners. And by the way, if you are listening to the audio version of this, you know, be reminded that there is a fully fledged uh, version over on YouTube where you'll be able to actually see that very image fly in right meow. And there it is. <laughs> but um, so what we're looking at really is, you know, an image of um, a Star Destroyer. And I can't remember which class this one is exactly. Um, the Super Star Destroyer. Oh, that's a Super Yeah, okay, the Super, super Star Destroyer. Star, yeah. <laughs> and then we've got um, a shuttle, which I think I originally... I, I remember this from Return of the Jedi, I think it's the shuttle they used to land yep. on Endor. Yeah, and yep. we see yep. that, that shuttle the Imperial approaching... Shuttle, yeah. The Imperial Shuttle, that's it. And we see that approaching the Super Star Destroyer. And, I mean, there's a number of things about this image. Well, first of all, it looks photoreal. I mean, that, that you know, if I looked oh, at man. that, it could easily pass as a shot from the movie, you know, without any oh, doubt. Thank you, I mean, thank you, thank you. It's really incredible. You know, you've got, um, obviously the models look extraordinarily detailed. The lighting is so, like, so original to the movie. You know, I mean, it really looks like it's part of the, it's part of the movie. Then you've got, you know, of course you've got the engine light uh, beam thing. Everything lighting up, yep, yep. So that, that looks great. And then, uh, but then what really struck me was that even, you know, along the side of the hull of the Super Star Destroyer, you've got all the windows that are lit up yep. as well. So it's really given the whole thing life, you know. So it, it and what it does is it creates that illusion that this is a real thing and not a model, you know. Yeah, um, a sense of scale, yeah. A sense of scale, yeah, exactly. And of course, then the whole thing so sits on this this backdrop of a starry space sky background, you know, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Yep. So, you know, and that's, that's little things. I mean, there's these, these lens flares in there and there's like this slight lens flare coming in from the top left as well. Um, this just, uh, you know, and this, this seemed to be like uh, almost a reflection on the metal at the bottom left there as well. Um, it, again, everything just gives it 
three dimensionality and you know and and scale and weight you know and realism mm -hmm. so how the heck did you make that image <laughs> there so yeah there's actually a lot kind of a lot going on here um so so i guess to kick it right off so it's it's two completely different scale models the the super star destroyer on in the background is about a two foot it's actually a game piece there's there's a tabletop star wars game i think it's called star wars armada i think um and this is about a two foot game piece that goes on your table and you can flush i've not, i've never played the game but they make great little models i've got a couple of them now for different shoots so 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 that's the model um now to give it a sense of scale i shot a i did i i focus stacked the image of the star destroyer because i couldn't get it all in focus in one shot um so that that was a tip that was the tip i learned a while ago I think once again from an ILM something or other, like a behind the scenes book or something where to, to give something a sense of scale, you kind of want it all in focus. You know, if, if you were to walk up to a, to a cruise ship or something from the dock and you took a picture of it, chances are the front of it's going to be in focus, the back of it's going to be in focus. Um, it just gives it that grand grandeur of scale um, where if you were to use a, a, a wide open aperture, like a F4, F2.8 or whatever, you know, you, you'd just get maybe the logo in, in focus or something. So in this case, um, I was probably shooting at F11, F16, somewhere in there. I don't recall offhand. Did a sequence of, I think maybe 20 shots front to back and then stacked them in Photoshop. So that gave me the nice, clear, the thing is crisp from the front, crisp to the back. Cause I think in the lore, this thing is supposed to be, it's, it's like the city of Manhattan or something. It's a couple miles long. It's supposed to be. So, so that's how we did the two foot model. The Imperial uh, shuttle in the foreground there is a Hot Wheels toy. Uh, I think I have somewhere in the room, yeah, which is maybe four inches tall or something. Um, so when I shot the Star Destroyer, I removed that, put the Imperial shuttle in similar position so it had the same single light source. Uh, shot a couple shots of that, composite that together. Oh, another key on the lighting. For this space lighting, I usually use for, for most of my shots, I usually use soft boxes. I, I shoot a lot of off-camera flash. I used to use constant lighting, LED lights. Um, I really like those. They make a lot of great RGB ones now where you can pick any color and you know you can see instantly what you get. What you see is what you get kind of thing when you're shooting. But for some reason, I'm just, I've sort of fallen in love with using flash. I don't know what it is. I've, now that I finally, it was intimidating at first, but now that I finally learned it, I, I love using it. Um, so did you, did you start with um constant lighting and then you went on to flash as far as toy photography right you know what i i kind of go back and forth now that i think about it i started with flash because i was doing product photography or experimenting with it and then i started getting into uh led lights like like loom cubes and, and godox led panels and things like that and now i've kind of come full circle back to flash um oh so where i was going with this uh usually when i use flash i use like nice soft boxes to get nice big soft boxes to get nice soft light um and things like that for this i went the opposite this i believe was a bare bulb because if you think about it in space your light source is just the stars there's no, really no diffusion so that gives you kind of a little bit more of a harsh light which kind of creates a lot of those hard shadows that you see and it just it helps sell the illusion of, of that space kind of shot very very typical actually for for the star wars movie or the Star Wars movies, and the way spaceships are lit in space is very hard light. And it's also very dramatic when they come out of shadow, for example, you know, and you've got this hard shadow edge and, and, and it you know, kind of spaceship out of the shadow or something. Yeah, yeah. and it emerges. Exactly. Like I remember this yep. scene with the Death Star where the Death Star just comes through and you just go, what the heck? You know, yeah. you get that. Yep. You know, that, yeah, Fantastic. yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, so we talked about the lighting, uh, and the Imperial, yeah, so the Imperial shuttle, um, Basically just removed the Star Destroyer out of the scene, dropped in the Imperial shuttle, took some shots of that. And then, then it was just a matter of compositing everything in, in Photoshop. Uh, so the star field in the background, I've always struggled with getting a good star field that, that not only I like, but kind of looks authentic to the originals. Um, I, I, like I mentioned before, I used to dabble in astrophotography. So I have, I, I mean, I have a library of, star fields that i've shot from evenings of trying to shoot meteor showers and in northern lights and things like that and those are great but they don't look like the source material like star wars source material if you go back and look at that stuff their star fields are very very pinpoint black and white there's really no color there's no 
there's not a whole lot of patterns to the stars. Um, so in, in this case, I actually ended up, uh, like I mentioned, I'm also a video person. Um, so I used After Effects, used the particle generator in After Effects, kind of played with it and finally got to a randomized star field that I really like. So I, I made a couple different versions of it, dropped them into my, my libraries, my sky libraries. And that's what I used for the background there. Um, now, as far as the engine lights and the, the sort of off camera light lens flare that you see there, the engine lights were created in Photoshop. I oftentimes just make simple shapes with the pen tool kind of outline the engine. And then I light it up with various um, outer glows and drop shadows. Actually, it sounds counterintuitive, but if you use layer styles, um, you can use the outer glow, but you can also use drop shadows instead of a dark color, give it a light color, play with the, um, the different overlay styles. And then for whatever reason in Photoshop, you can add multiple instances of a drop shadow, but not an outer glow. I don't know why that is, but I was playing with it one day and it's like, oh, there's a little plus button. You can continually add them. So if you stack a couple drop shadows on top of each other that are lighter in color, it tends to make a pretty good outer glow. So, uh, so that's how we glow. That's how we made the engines glow. And then the lens flares you see, um, I use a plugin called Boris Effects Optics. Boris Effects is a special effects company and video uh, software company. And they recently, a year or two ago, released a product for photographers called Optics. So it's a lot of their visual, a lot of their video uh, special effects type plugins and effects now in a piece of software for us photographers. And it's, it's super great. I really love it. I use it quite a bit. Um, it has its own particle generator and like digital gobos and lens flares and light leaks and all sorts of fun effects. So, so that's what's going on. That's how I generate the lens flares there. Um, and actually, oh, if I, I just interject there, so talking about Boris yeah. effects, um, optics in particular. So, I actually, in fact, you put me on to Boris effects, and I've um, so I've since been in touch with the company. And sure, sure. So I've just started looking into Boris effects, and I have to say, it is mind blowing. It, uh, really, yeah. the the photorealism of those special effects—they're literally Hollywood movie special effects. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, yep. it's incredible. Like, um, you know, muzzle flares, uh, yep. uh, yes. lightning, you know, all sorts of different things, uh, incredible explosions. Uh, it's just, you know, it's nuts, absolutely nuts. And the way that you can manipulate them, not so keen on the user interface, but... It take, it, there's, know, a, there's a learning curve to it, for sure. Yeah, there's yeah. a learning curve to that, yeah. <laughs> and in fact, you know, if you are listening or if you're watching this, um, there will be a full review of... Boris Effects Optics coming soon cool. on this channel or giving a little something away here or of a sister channel to the Camera Shake channel that will be predominantly dealing with reviews. But there you go. There, I said it. It'll be coming Premiere. <laughs> Premiere, yeah. <laughs> you got to hear first. <laughs> so, nice. so, yeah. So, um, so there'll be a full-fledged, you know, in-depth uh, review of Boris Effects Optics. Um, I've had a little play around with it, and I have to say, uh, mind-blowing. I mean, it's incredible. The, the variety of different effects that you can achieve with that, incredible. The amount of control you have over those and yep. over all the different you know, parameters in those, totally nuts. And you know what I like? I mean, it's the special effects is one thing, um, but I also really like the sort of film stock kind of yes. filter yep. options you've got. Yeah, the in there. film really, stocks really and nice. options, yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it's great. Um, and another nice thing, since it came from the video world, any effects that you start applying, you start like uh, just this weekend I was working on a project and I was doing some some like fire, like embers, little glowing embers coming across the screen. So of course there's there's multiple various fire particle generators and I picked one and I'm playing with it. And not only can you, you know, play with the size, the duration, the weight, velocity of all these things, since it came from video, there's a timeline feature too. So you can set up all your parameters and then you can like scrub a timeline and it animates live for you. And you can pick like the exact frame that you want and then continue to modify it. And yeah, it's, I've been using Boris effects, I think for like two years now. And I still feel like I've only scratched the surface. There's, there's so much it can do. 
Uh, yeah, exactly. I mean, uh, you know, and I've only really literally just scratched the surface and I feel like, yeah. well, this is a deep hole to get into. But I tell you what, you mentioned, you mentioned the term uh, particle generator there. For for those listeners yes. um, and viewers who may not necessarily be aware of what a particle generator actually is, could you just, could you just give it a little explanation sure. of what it is? Yeah, absolutely. So a particle generator in, in various pieces of software like After Effects and Boris Effects and, and 3D software is basically, if you think of, if you think of a fire, a fire is a source and it's it's releasing all these little particles, all these little embers, um, things like that, and, and, and smoke, clouds, um, water are examples of particle generators. So the particle generator, like that I used in the shot I was just talking about, was a fire, uh, like a campfire generator or something. So it takes a lot of little elements, little particles, and it puts them all together and animates them in, in like a cloud together. So when you animate it in a sequence, it becomes this living animating thing you know if you think about you know rain would be particles um you know like i said clouds fire water things like that so when you're using the particle generator you have control over the location of where these particles are emitting from they have an emitter so that would be like the the, the fire pit i guess in essence um, all the particles would be like these little embers you can adjust the size, make them bigger, smaller. You can increase the amount of them so there's more everywhere or less. Um, you can adjust the, the gravity of a particle, which means as it's animating, does it float up or does it have weight and does it kind of fall back down? Um, the velocity of the particle, you can add motion blur to it. So if it has a high velocity, it's, it's blurring. It looks like a streak. If it has low velocity, it just looks like a, like a speck floating around. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, geez, we can almost do an hour on a particle generators, I suppose. You know, there's there's a lot. But uh, yeah, in essence, particle generators are a way to make um, lots of different styles of visual effects. You know, fire, earth, water, wind, snow, all those kind of fun things. So everything that's basically particularly, you know, like rain or like, like you mentioned, snow, fire, you know, little embers flying around, all that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, or, or dust particles, yeah. for example, it could be. Dust, explosions, yeah, things like that. Um, yeah, anything that's composed of lots of little elements that you can control as a group, essentially. You know, I don't think about it. You can almost, like a flock of birds in the background could be created with a particle generator. Now that I think about it, you could make a, yeah, you could do like a, you use like a dust particle generator, make them black, expand like their y-axis so they're thin. Anyway, now I'm starting to get off tangent on a tangent here, but <laughs> the creative mind that doesn't stop. <laughs> Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platypod products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home in the studio and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platyball Tripod Heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platypod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platypod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platypod, our amazing sponsor. Platypod, where innovation never sleeps. So talking about, um, I'll tell you what, uh, since we're talking yeah. about explosions and dust and stuff, um, let's sure. have a look at another one of your images, which is incredible, um, which is... Um, which is this one here flying in, right, meow? Um, and just exp just explain that image a little bit. So this is a fun one. So this is, uh, for any video game players out there, this is uh, Master Chief from the Halo series, kind of running away from an explosion. Uh, so this is, he's like a seven-inch figure, I think. Um, so I took this down. This one actually holds a special place in my heart because my wife and I recently moved from our house of 15 years, and this was the last shot that I took from that location. This was shot down at the uh, at the local park in the volleyball court in the sand. So basically I kind of posed the figure up how I want him so it looks like he's running away from an explosion. And then I actually used um, uh, a platypod gooseneck and, and super 
what do they call them? The super mini clamps. Uh, so there's a clamp holding his foot that you, that is just out of frame that you can't really see. And then the, the gooseneck is kind of, kind of coiled to give it weight, just, just to hold the figure up. And then what I meant to do, I knew I was going to do an explosion shot. So there's this, there's a couple of different ways to do practical effects with explosions. Um, you can do something as simple as like the, the cans of compressed air that you use to clean your keyboard or things like that. You can use one of those. There's actually a great tool that is actually a, it's, it's like a drain declogger. That's pretty popular in toy photography. It's like, it's like this pump, like this big and you pump it up and then it has a trigger and it, it it's made for clearing drains, but it's, it's, like 15, $25, something like that on Amazon. I don't remember technically what it's called, but that's what I was going to use here. And I use in several shots. So yeah, you go out there, you set up your figure, it's in the sand, you pump up the thing and you kind of set it up. You use a remote for the, for your camera, you put it on burst mode, go, and then you poof, and it kicks up sand and snow and all that kind of stuff, dirt everywhere. I, unfortunately, I forgot to bring that with me. So uh, maybe I, I think I have a behind the scenes video I'll share in, in the, in the description or whatnot. Um, I ended up having to just kick it, kick it with my foot. So I'm behind, I'm holding my remote in one hand, you know, kind of burst firing the camera and I'm behind the figure, just kicking it not too hard. I don't want to knock the figure down, but I'm just kicking up sand, you know, and you just kind of do that back and forth a couple of times, check your shots and see what you see, what you've come up with and see if you got anything you like. And then, uh, once I got something I liked, took it back. And in post-production, again, using Boris effects optics in combination with the, the practical dirt that's already there being kicked up. I used one of the explosion particle generators in Boris effect optics and kind of using masking and stuff in Photoshop and blending the explosion with the practical effects. And I also uh, used a little blur to kind of, to, you know, it's in the background. So it's a little bit out of focus. Um, so a combination of practical and visual effects in this instance, which is kind of my favorite way to work. I love blending real stuff with kind of digital stuff. You know, it's kind of a, it's a fun, fun way to blend these elements. So, so that's kind of what's going on with the Halo shot. Yeah. It's a great way to make something look really photorealistic because, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned something earlier when we were talking about the Star Destroyer shot. And that was basically, you mentioned, you know, you took the Imperial shuttle and you placed it approximately where it would be in a frame just so that the lighting would be accurate. And that's yeah. something yep. I love doing when I shoot composites. I shoot a lot of composites too, um, for a number of different reasons. But, uh, you know, one, one of the things um, I did a little while ago was um, I made a shot for a, it's a photo series called Three Heads in a Row I made. And basically I made a shot, a shot where I'm slicing through a lemon in midair. So, you know, there's me with a knife, like a big old kitchen knife, yep. and there's a lemon and I'm slicing through it and the two halves kind of explode and, you know, fly apart basically. And the thing with that was um, that that's all practical. Like literally all, all of the elements were shot practically. So there's obviously me with a knife, there's the lemon itself, yep. the two lemon halves, and then there's also a lot of, sort of sludge that's, flying through the air, but all of these elements were shot practically. So literally I had the, the lemons on skewers and they were approximately oh, nice. in the yep. actual position where they would be yeah. for the very same reason, because the lighting on it and the light, you know, the light and the shadow on it would be 100% accurate because that's what it would yep. be if they were actually there at the same time. So they, yeah, I mean, they exactly. were actually there, just not at the same time with the knife. At the same time. Yeah. 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 And the same thing is true for all the sludge because that's, you now they were talking about the liquid you know, with, with little, um, little bits in it, basically. And it was the same thing, you know, it's, you know, they need to look realistic uh, as they would be if they were basically sort of exploding, flying through the air. And there, again, it was, it was important for them to actually be, rather than just shooting something, you know, on a, I don't know, a green screen or something, you know, in some kind of situation and then yeah. pasting it in, these had to be in the air and it had to be literally suspended in the air. So it was my, my stepdaughter was there with a massive spoon and a bucket of sludge <laughs> that we'd made. And she was like throwing it up, throwing it up. And I was you know, shooting at the same time. Yep. And then the end result is really a combination of a number of those shots, but all of the elements that ended up in the final shot were actually photographed in situ as they were. And Absolutely. immediately yeah. it looks super photorealistic when you, when you put it all together. I think sometimes people forget that when they're putting, um, you know, composites together is that it's very difficult to, in a sense, fake the lighting after the fact, I mean, it's not impossible, but it's just sure, a hell sure. of a lot more, more difficult to do it, to do it that way rather than actually photographing something in situ. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I know a lot of people 
there's a whole group of people out there who like to get it right in camera and get all of it right in camera. And, and I totally understand that it's not really my style, but I do try to get all the elements as best I can in camera. It's, uh, I heard a great analogy once about, uh, photography is like cooking where like, so for my style, if I was a chef of like a photographer meets a chef at the end of the day, I'm trying to serve you a great image, like a chef would serve you a plate. So when I go out with my camera, I'm like a chef going to the market. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get the best elements I can, the best ingredients to then bring them back, put them together, cook them, and then serve you up the best, the best dish I can, you know, the best ingredient or best image. Um, so it's, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's some of the stuff you can fake, but man, it's always great to, if you can shoot it practically in some way, and then even if you have to composite it later, it's, it, it just makes a world of difference. It's really nice. Exactly. And also, and this is the one thing I like, I really love about the, the halo image is that, you know, that blend of, of, um, you know, realistic elements in it. And then you've got the SFX fire and the Boris SFX, Boris FX fire yeah. in there, you know, the explosion in there. And what it does is it, it basically glues it all together because ultimately what what we're creating here is is an illusion you know it's it's an illusion yeah. of reality and often you know the kind the, these are layers of dust and bits flying through the air all that kind of stuff that can just aid you're selling that illusion as as real does that make sense yeah Yep. No, absolutely. And, and the fact that I couldn't really practically get an explosion like that. I mean, there's a lot of people shooting with fireworks and I've, I've used fireworks a couple of times and they're really fun, but it's just not always practical for everyone to use fireworks and to blow stuff up all the time. So yeah, so there I was just kicking volleyball sand out in the volleyball court by myself and boom, put in the digital kind of explosion, if you will, later and marry all that stuff together. So you mentioned, um, and I want to just come a little bit to the, um, to the actual, so the practical photography part of it. Mm -hmm. Um, you yeah. mentioned, first of all, you know, before we talk about how you actually physically shot that, you know, in terms of, you know, sure. lenses and, and cameras and stuff. Um, oh, yeah. the first thing is, you know, you've got to keep these models in place somehow. You got to hold them somewhere. And you mentioned you were using, uh, using a platypod and a platypod gooseneck. And of course, you know, as people know by now, hopefully, you know, uh, this podcast of course is sponsored by Platypot. Um, and you know, we're very, very grateful for that sponsorship. It's fantastic. Um, yeah. and I, I mean, I've been using Platypot products. This isn't, by the way, this is in no way an advertising show for Platypot. Absolutely not. But, um, you know, I've been using Platypot products, uh, for quite some time really. Um, and I used them in exactly that way, you know, to hold things up, place things down. In fact, if, you know, if there was a wide shot, wait a minute, there's a wide shot. There that's a wide issue. So you still can't see anything. <laughs> but there's a bunch of things. For example. That I actually, for example, yeah. I mean, there's basically there's a hair light um, just above me there somewhere, up here somewhere. Wait, yep. There. Um, that's, you know, that's a loom cube panel that's basically held by, that, that's on a, on a platypod ultra, I think. That's just sure connected to my shelf and stuff like that. And there's yep. a, ver a variety of other lights around me that are, that are held up uh, with platypods and, and a variety of other of other tools. Um, so how, how do you normally keep those models in place? Oh gosh. Yeah. There's various ways. Um, so like we mentioned about the platypod stuff, um, I'm, I'm amassing the entire collection of platypod gear. I really like a lot of the stuff they make. Um, oftentimes I will use like a platypod ultra, which was one of their, one of their first iterations of the platypod. Um, just a, a small aluminum plate with a couple of screw holes. And then I would use the goosenecks and a couple of the clamps to hold things in place. Um, sometimes even get a little more creative for some of the larger figures. I figured out a way to use the Platypod Ultra. And then I found some just clear acrylic rods on Amazon or something. Um, and then I would use a, a tap and die set to actually create my own screw, whatever, uh, quarter 20 screw on the one end of the acrylic rod. And then I can now screw that into the Platypod Ultra. So now I've got a clear acrylic rod attached to the Ultra that I can kind of place in the dirt. And then you can take that larger figure and kind of, depending on what kind of armor and gear it's wearing, you can kind of set it, put the rod up its back. So it holds it very firm, very in place. Um, and to take that even a step further, you could take two Platypod Ultras and their new platypod handle. You put the handle on one platypod, put that on the ground. Then you can mount the second platypod to the top of the handle. So now you've got an adjusting 
platform, basically, that you can put a figure on with that acrylic rod. And the reason I do that is because one of the one of the great ways to make these figures look real or larger than life is to shoot them from eye level or below, looking up at them. It just makes them look bigger. So with that platypod handle platypod setup, now I've got a platform where I can raise the figure up and I can have my camera on another platypod down low looking up at the figure. So now you're outside, you're looking up at the figure and now you've got like trees up behind it or the sunset or buildings or things like that. It's a great way to, to elevate the figure, make it look larger than life and get a really unique angle shooting up at it. Cause most people don't see these toys from, you know, you're always looking down at them. So to look, to be down and looking up at them just gives it this whole unique perspective that most people don't see. So it, Helps them and it's also it's also a much more realistic sort of, you know perspective because yeah. because yep. if they were life size then we would be at least eye level if not lower depending on what exactly figures, yeah. you know? and so that's so immediately it, it sort of aids the whole realism of it so yeah with that in mind <coughs> um and I know most people would would probably think like well you know clearly a macro lens will be the perfect choice for that uh, but how mm -hmm. do you actually shoot those figures? Yeah, so for gear, you're you're right. An, a macro lens, a macro lens is a huge help um, if you really want to get close to these figures, get a lot of detail. Um, the the Star Destroyer sh shot that I was that we were looking at earlier that was shot with a hundred millimeter Canon macro. Um, now on the flip side, I often also shoot with a, a seventy to two hundred a lot, just because I like to get back. I love the compression that that kind of gives. It's kind of a, a unique in toy photography, um, and also things when you're using. Uh, practical effects like that halo shot. I believe that was shot with the 7200 because I wanted to get back, get back away from it because I'm kicking sand. And I think, I think yeah. you'll see in the behind the scenes, I think you'll see in the behind the scenes photo. If I remember, I did actually have my camera wrapped in a plastic bag just in case because I'm kicking sand all over the place, you know, for protection. So, um, uh, so yeah, so I use a 70 to 200 a lot as well. But you're absolutely right. A macro, you can get up close to these figures and that in combination with a little bit of focus stacking, you can really fool the viewer. Well, maybe fool's the wrong word, but you can really give the impression that these things are bigger than they really are. You know, you can get really into them, get details. You'll also discover all the dust that settles on your figures too. Cause when you, you can't really see it on your, with your eye, you know, I'll set up a scene and I'll actually have a little brush set and I'll kind of clean them off as best you can. But you take a couple shots and then you get that full screen on your desktop and all of a sudden, like, all of a sudden you've got all these little dust specks and scratches like, okay, so yeah. then I'm sitting there painting that stuff out for a little while and cleaning it up and stuff. But, uh, yeah, so, so macro, uh, macro lenses are definitely essential. Um, speaking of Platypod, the Platypod Ultras, the Platypod Extreme, the Platypod Max, those are all great tripod tripod replacements for getting low and getting to eye level with these figures. I use them a lot. Um, I mean, the Platypod Extreme that came out a year or two ago, that might be my favorite piece of gear that they've ever put out. I love that thing. It's So it's one of the plates, and then it has the four legs, which are adjustable. They have the they have spiked foot feet on one side, so you can take that outdoors, out in the snow, in the sand, rock, dirt, all that kind of stuff. But then the legs flip around, and they have a little rubber stopper on the other end. So now you can put it on, on the ground, on concrete, or on a desktop, tabletop, things like that. I use that Platypod Extreme so often i love that thing if i if i was stuck on a desert island with one piece of photography gear it might be the platypod extreme you know um so yeah so that works great for getting low oh go ahead i've often thought that you know i mean i thought exactly the same thing so and now that they've brought out the handle this it's like another really awesome kind of problem so mm -hmm. you know situation where i you know i originally thought because the thing about the thing about the platypod is is that you can get your camera really super low and of course i mean you can basically um and for those who don't know what the platform is, basically a platform. You can attach any um, tripod head onto the platform and then attach a camera to that. And that basically gives you, you know, typically that would mean that your camera would be a few inches off the ground, right? Exactly, um, yep. But you can also really attach the camera directly to the, to the platypod itself. So you can get super low to the ground with that as well. So this yep. is a whole variety of, of, uh, of, of options there but with the handle you now can go higher as well and that's what i find really useful so now you know now you can get sort of 10 inches off the ground or whatever it is 12 inches whatever yep yeah cool extent of it is 
So, um, and then, you know, you can combine that with a tripod head and now you've got all the flexibility. I particularly like that for video, actually. Um, I went into London yeah. uh, with my friend Dave Williams the other day and, and oh, Steve sure. Brazel, actually. Yeah, so Steve oh, came nice. over. Yep. So, and, I'll start you know, cast in, over there. <laughs> well, I know, yeah. So we went into town, had a little bit of a tour and I thought, you know, I'll take, obviously I'll take a camera, I shoot some video bits, um, but I didn't want to take tripods and I didn't want to take gimbals either because that was the other thing, you know, it's, mm. because it was a fairly, it was a social thing and I just wanted to shoot yeah. a few things, you know, um, but with that handle and, um, and the platypod extreme and one of the, uh, and the platyball actually, which I used as a, as a tripod sure. hat, you yep. kind of, you're creating almost like a, a mechanical gimbal, which is super useful yeah. because you can, you know, you can create some pretty much mechanically stabilized shots as yeah. shooting video, but you can also set the whole thing down, you know, film yourself or yep. use it as, I mean, we went down to the river Thames and, you know, did some stills there, super easy. You know, you just put, <laughs> you can see all the other photographers there with the little tripods and stuff and you just go, oh, plonk, there is Blink. done. Good to go. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so there were a lot of a lot of eyeballs going like, "What the heck is that?" <laughs> oh yeah, but but yeah, it's a really it's a really useful tool. Um, incidentally, you know, again for for those listeners who who didn't know, um, the reason why um, I've decided to you know to take Platypot on as a sponsor is because it really is a perfect match. It's the the kind of toolage that I use all the time. And I, I wholeheartedly recommend because it is just so dang useful in so many different situations. It's, it's a real, it's a, it's a total no brainer. Um, you know, so anyway, so now what I want to do now is I want to have a look at the third image that I picked. Um, and let me just find it. Oh yeah. So talking about making small things look huge. Uh, there's a there's a photo you posted a little while ago, and I think actually it may have actually been, I think I may have seen it on the Platyport users Facebook group. I think. Yep, you probably did. The, I think they might have done a blog post as well. Yeah. Yes, potentially. Um, so there's uh, this is another Star Wars scene, but it's a Lego Star Wars scene, and what's so really cool about that is, is first of all you've got two Lego figures. They're usually quite tiny. You know, I think everybody listening will probably know what level yeah. figures are, but they're, you know, they're pretty tiny. They look, first of all, they look huge. The camera's obviously really close to floor level with them, but then you're really looking at a lightsaber fight or, or at the end, the tragic end of a lightsaber fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <You know>? Yep. <laughs> so, um, and of course you've got like, you can also lightsaber in there. Um, you've got one of the figures basically cut in half, flying apart, and you've got all sorts of sparks and, you know, and, and stuff flying in there. That's a really awesome shot. How did you create that? Like, how did, how yeah. did you get the, how did you get that, that figure that's been cut in half to stay in place like that? Yeah. So, well, first Kirsten, uh, thank you. And you actually picked the perfect image to to close out those three images because I think we this one used all the techniques we just discussed. I think um, so. So first off, okay, so yeah, so it's it's Luke Skywalker cutting a droid in half in, in a hallway in Lego fashion here. Um, so this was just uh, this little Lego set comes with a little miniature hallway. The Lego figures are oh gosh, I don't know what inch and a half or so tall. Um, this was a set up on a tabletop using uh, my camera sitting on a platyball, like you'd mentioned, and my platypod extreme. And then the little Lego set is sitting on a, I, th I think a black Apple box just to, to raise it up a little bit so I can get the camera just, just below the figure's eye level. So it, it feels like you're in the scene with them. Um, so, okay, to get back to the lighting conversation we had earlier, this shot actually uses both off-camera flash and constant lighting. Um, I used off-camera flash to light the scene, light the ambient. Um, there's, I, I think, um, like, uh, I use Godox lights a lot. I think I had a, a Godox AD200 in a softbox, probably like a 34-inch softbox or whatever, uh, above, kind of creating the hallway light. There's another one in a strip box off to the side in the background, um, providing some, some backlighting. And then there's actually a loom cube on a little, on a, on a platypod gooseneck, uh, that has a green gel on it, and that is creating the kind of ambient hallway light from the lightsaber, from the green lightsaber that I knew I was going to digitally add in later. 
Um, so there I'm sort of using a slower shutter speed to, I don't remember what it was offhand. Uh, I might be able to find it. Well, anyway. Uh, oh, there we go. About a half second uh, shutter speed. So that allows the, the off-camera flash to light the scene. And then when that's done, since the shutter's still open, it's sort of absorbing the green dimmer light from the loom cube to kind of light that hallway. So just kind of a fun experiment to use both techniques in one shot. Um, so then, okay, so that's kind of how we set up the shot. And then in post-production, um, again, I used Photoshop to create the lightsaber. Similar techniques to what I used, talked about before, just kind of creating a shape with the pen tool. This one, I kind of made a wider shape to give a little bit of like sense of motion, like it's swinging the way lightsabers do. Um, and then I'm pretty sure I probably used the drop shadow effect for to light up the lightsaber as well. I, I actually, there's like three different ways you can do a lightsaber in my head, at least I'm, there's probably more, but you know, in Photoshop, there's always multiple ways to do the same thing. Um, and then the sparks. So the droid that's in half, I should back up a second. There's a droid cut in half. His legs are stuck to the ground and his torso is kind of floating up in the air. So what I had going on there was, uh, a little, um, a set of, they're called helping hands. They're for, for like soldering small things and stuff like that. Um, I, I got a couple sets to hold things. It, it's like a, it's like a little stiff armature set with a claw at the end. So you can kind of set things up on your desktop and hold things. So that armature these are is like holding little, Are these like little, like, uh, what do they call crocodile? Like, clamps? like, a, like uh, alligator clips or crocodile clips. Alligator yes, clips. Exactly. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Yep. So, so yeah, so there's, yeah, so there's the armature with the clip that is then holding on one of those acrylic rods that I talked about. And at the end of the acrylic rod is just a little piece of like sticky thumbtack kind of stuff that you put posters up in college, that kind of thing. So that is then sticking to the, the upper half of the droid thing. So that's what's holding it just out of frame, just up in the air a little bit. So then again, back in post-production, did the lightsaber and then used Boris FX optics, one of the particle generators again, to create the sparks. I'm trying to think what kind of spark generator it was. I think it might've been another campfire type. Well, I, I don't recall offhand. There's so many different presets, but you start with one of those presets and then I ended up, the particles typically start out falling down. Well, this one, I rotated the emitter sideways. So the sparks are flying off to the right. So it kind of helps that, gives that illusion that the lightsaber swung through the thing. There's momentum. It's cutting the thing in half and sparks are flying. Um, yeah, that, that, that's kind of the gist of that one is a whole, a whole assortment of techniques used in this one to kind of put that piece together. And then finally, and then color graded, I've been working a lot of my color grading lately in Lightroom. Um, cause they kind of, they, they once had, what was it? The split toning feature. And they kind of expanded on that into a, a color grading, a couple of color grading wheels where you can assign colors to your darks, midtones and highlights and things like that. So. I will often, I will, my basic color grading is often just cooling down the shadows a little bit with a little bit of blue and then warming up the highlights with a little bit of orangish yellow or something like that. So yeah, so in a nutshell, that's, that's kind of how that shot was put together. A lot of different techniques, just about everything in the book kind of thrown at it. <laughs> and you know what sells this shot to me is the set. You know, I'm, I'm really oh, sure. sort of a, I'm a sucker for a good set because I love set design. It's, yeah. it's just one of the things I, lo I love tinkering with a set, you know, whether it's for a shoot or whatever it may be, um, just, you know, putting little things, getting little things right, you know, blah, blah. Um, yeah. and you know, lighting, lighting backgrounds, giving it a little bit of texture, giving it a little bit of, you know, um, light contrast and stuff like that. But what I love about this is it's got everything. It's got detail, you know, so it really puts us onto a Star Wars either Star Destroyer or space. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, Death Star type of a thing. And um, but it also has depth. You know, and this is the thing I love the I love is is the fact that we can really see depth with the foreground being out of focus and the focus of you know hitting the characters and then falling off again mm -hmm. behind them. It's just it's so nice. It's such a um it's such a cinematic image. Oh, thank you. And and that's often what I, I'm so glad you said that actually, because that is exactly what I typically go for. I try to make these shots quote unquote cinematic. Um, I like to make them realistic to the sense that somebody might look at them and maybe think that, Hey, was that 
oh, that's a shot from the movie. Oh, no, it's not. Maybe it's a deleted scene. It looks like it's from the movie. It looks so close, but something's new. I haven't seen it before. So, so yeah. So thank you for saying that. Actually, that's the cinematic style is kind of often what I go for. So how did you build that particular set? It, it's a Lego kit. It's, it's oh, a straight up Lego cool. kit. Yeah. It's 30 or $40. Um, it's, it's only half of the hallway. So that's kind of why I chose this angle in, in my head. I almost bought two of these shots. I almost bought two of these kits because I wanted to do like, you're looking down the hallway. I wanted to see both walls kind of closing in, giving you a, fo a central focal point. But this set is, it's only one half of the hallway. It's, 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 it's like an L shape. It's the back corner with the elevator and then one wall coming up. So that's why I kind of had to angle it differently so the cameras well i guess like you do on a real film set you only you only build what you need to see in camera anyway so there's one hallway one wall of the hallway is missing and uh yeah so it, it's just a little little lego kit uh some of those lights are actually just the stickers that you put on those panels um and then i enhanced the light a little bit in photoshop gave them a little bit more glow um but yeah it's just a little lego set all in all it's maybe Oh, it's less than 10 inches long. I think that hallway, it's not very big, but yeah, again, put a macro lens in front of it and you can, you know, get it at the right angle and you can really make things look yeah. bigger than they are. And of course, nowadays, you know, they very often use, um, you know, green screen and whatever to extend the set digitally afterwards. But back yeah. in the yeah. day, they used to use mirrors, you know, just to, oh yeah, you, absolutely. You know, so just to, it's to create the illusion as if that hallway just carries on, but it's just a mirror. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, funny you bring that up because someone recently did a shot. There's a little uh, a trend going around a little bit in toy photography where, oh, and I, I, I apologize. I cannot remember who did the first one, but they did like a Star Wars Lego trench, trench run scene from the end of the first movie. And they put a mirror on the back of it to extend that trench. And it, it worked great. It was all practical and it was, it was a beautiful shot. And I'm, oh, I'm mad that I can't think of who did that, but, but you're absolutely right. And, and speaking of digital sets and things like that, Another popular thing in toy photography right now is uh, doing what's called a digirama. You know, you can build real dioramas, but also you can now just sort of like, if you're familiar with the behind the scenes of like the Mandalorian and things called the volume, which the volume is a big room. All the walls are LED screens. You can take, you can project whatever you want on those screens and shoot it live practically in on set. Um, and people are starting to do that in toy photography. I've done a couple myself where you basically just put a computer monitor or a big screen TV behind your set, behind your figure, set up lights around your figure, try to match what's on the screen as best you can, you know, and all, now all of a sudden you have near infinite possibilities of, of settings and things, you know, you could put a sunset or a spaceship hallway, or I did a wrestling one once where my wife and I went to a pro wrestling event here and I shot some shots of the crowd behind me and I put that into a wrestling action figure. So the action figures in in a practical ring, but there's a TV behind them showing a photo that I took of an actual crowd. So it all it all blends together, and it's all sorts of fun ways to kind of extend the scene and and, and build a set. And then, of course, if you think about it, you know, if you extend that with like generative fill AI, for example, oh yeah, you could extend those scenes even further. You know, it's incredible. I mean, it's just you know incredible what we can do nowadays yeah it no you're absolutely right i've been uh there's a whole nother topic of conversation i did do one shot in this spring where i used uh, adobe firefly to create um a a, a cloud sequence right i took them a toy of the millennium falcon and i put it up in the clouds you know because i don't i have i have a cloud i have a personal cloud library for sky replacements that i shoot with my phone and or my camera whenever i happen to see a really cool sky uh sunset or something um but i don't have many cloud shots from above the clouds. I have a couple now from a, from a recent flight, but so yeah, so there I used, um, F Adobe Firefly's text to image generation and created a, a nice midday above the clouds and composited in a millennium Falcon shot that I took in the backyard or something. And it turned out really cool. Uh, yeah. AI, there's a whole nother topic of conversation that people are getting into these days. Like, Oh boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Who knows well, where that's going to go. But here's the thing, you know, and I know like over the last, you know, couple of months or something, of course, you know, everybody's been talking uh, about AI, including yeah. on this podcast, of course, because it's such, you know, it's such a sure. timely topic. So there's been a lot of talk about AI, you know, recently over the last couple of months, you know, in particular, mm -hmm. because it's such a, you know, it's such a timely issue. And of course, 
topic even. And of course, we've been talking yeah. this to death also on this podcast. And um, but what I love about the stuff that you do, and and actually, you know, toy photography in general, is that we're really talking about practical models here with some yep. special effects enhancements and Boris effects enhancements yeah. and stuff like that. But that, all that stuff's very cool, you know, um, to sell the illusion and everything. Um, but nevertheless, it's still something that's kind of physical, you know, and it's like yep. you still have to spend that time creating that set and building the model. And and it's there's a lot of yep. actual practical problem solving in there. Like, for instance, how the heck do you hold that figure in place, for example, you know? Yeah, exactly, yeah. Oh, yeah, I, know, how uh, do you how do you kick dust up? You know, sand up with you know, the lens yep, exactly. Stuff, so. Yeah, with with the with the emergence of AI this year and all that talk, I mean, I'm like the technical side of my brain is fascinated by it. I'm just fascinated by the tech and how it can do what it does. Um, but spending spending the past couple months playing with it, um, like Mid Journey and and Adobe Firefly and stuff, while it's very fun. It, it's fun to create like the text to image generation. At the same time, I, I kind of burnt out on it pretty fast. And it really taught me that I really do enjoy the creative process, the journey just as much as the destination. Um, because yeah, I don't know. I just didn't feel a whole lot for the stuff I was generating with AI. You know, you kind of type it in and you make it and it's like, oh, okay, that's cool. It did that. But I didn't feel any way attached to it or have ownership over it or anything. It just didn't feel like mine. Whereas with the toy photography stuff, yeah, it's, I enjoy the creative process. I enjoy, you know, the hunt for that new figure from the new movie that just came out or something. And then you, you get it and you come up with an idea and you make a set or you go outside and you do the shoot and then you get to composite some things and add some effects in Photoshop. I really enjoy the, the creative process of it. So that's something AI really taught me. Um, and nothing against people that do it. I mean, there, it makes some amazing stuff i mean it's crazy what that stuff can generate now on the flip side i do really appreciate like oh what's the new remove tool in photoshop that uses ai you know that works great to get rid of the stand or the the wire or the the gooseneck that's holding up the figure you know it saves a lot of time nowadays um and and generating i can see generating elements of photos i, I did a recent shoot of a cowboy figure and i didn't have a a horse to match it but i i'm like okay well i'm in photoshop beta i might as well generate a horse and i put a horse in the background and it looks completely authentic it looks like something i would have placed back there physically but it wasn't and i haven't really even released that shot yet because i'm like mm, i don't know if i want to go down that road of ai generation i don't i don't know but yeah ai there's when generative fill first came out uh, in Photoshop beta, I did a, a little test um, and I took an image that I shot of Dave Williams uh, where he was pouring out coffee. So he was holding a glass jar with uh, coffee powder in it and he was pouring yeah. that into like a coffee mug type of a thing. And I thought, well, what if I just select that coffee, right, that coffee powder, and I just type in water? Let's see what it does. And it, I kid you not, yeah. I mean, it's the most mind-blowing thing. It totally replaced Ugh. that coffee powder that was, you know, pouring out of that glass jar, a see-through trans transparent glass jar oh, with gosh. basically his hand in the background partially obscured by the coffee powder. And it replaced that with transparent water. Wow. That you could see through and you could see the part see of the hand. Background. Yeah, that wasn't there, and it just like you know, and it basically replaced. So he was wearing a T-shirt also with like you know with like some uh, some graphics on it, and of course where the coffee powder was sort of covering up the graphics, it it totally replaced the graphics, it behind the transparent translucent water, and um, you know if you look really closely and you knew the original T-shirt, then you kind of you realize well you know there's you know it was being quite creative. But actually, if you'd never seen that t-shirt before, you would have, I mean, that looked totally, totally realistic. And it was, it literally, I mean, I took the lasso tool and it just went <laughs> in one second. And then I, you know, I just went water, boom. And it was, and it was it. Oh. And it was literally, the whole process took like five seconds, if that. And you just go, whoa, damn. It's, oh wow! Yeah, the, the, so yeah, the the practical things, the production like the production type tasks that you can save time in is just unbelievable. Yeah. Like I said, removing all the stands and things and the replace. Oh man, it's crazy. And of course, you know other, we're, other things. You know other things. For instance, where I was, uh, <laughs> I was uh, I took a 
as a selfie that I took of myself, um, and I, was, I wanted to turn that into a bit of a pirate image, that really, that was a big fail. <laughs> that didn't oh. work out at all. <laughs> you know, so yeah, they're still, yeah, still dialing in like the human element there, but they're getting close. I mean, we're in its infancy and it's going to be amazing yeah. to see where that stuff goes. It's crazy. I know. Yeah. And you know, if you think like, for instance, I'm thinking toy photography and I'm thinking like, you know, if I'm shooting um, a Star Wars figure or something, you know, there are certain like seams or something, you know, with the legs are attached, you know, taking all yep. that out and making that look realistic. You know, I'm thinking like hands because the hands are always set. Maybe, you know, giving that some flex. I mean, there's, there's some incredible possibilities there to make that, to really, yeah. I mean, again, to sell that illusion, you know, ultimately. That's, yeah, that's yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, I mean, and I go back and forth on the re, the removal of the joints and the seams and things. I do in some images, I some I don't. I, I guess it depends on how lazy I'm feeling in Photoshop that day, I guess. But um, yeah, yeah, I never even thought of that aspect of like moving the hands and the fingers and gestures and, and, and facial. Um, a, a couple of times I have used Photoshop's liquify tool. Um, for those who aren't familiar, uh, if you use the liquify filter, it can recognize faces and you can adjust eyes and mouths and positions and things like that. And I've, I've done that on a few occasions where I'll give a static action figures grimace, look, give it a little bit of a smile or adjust the eyes or things like that. Um, yeah, AI holds definitely a lot of, a lot of options for sure. Oh, absolutely. Well, liquid, I mean, actually the liquify tool is, I quite like it. Um, I, I use it quite regularly, um, mm. you know, especially in headshot photography, um, especially oh, sure. to, you know, to not necessarily so much to, uh, change features of the face, although occasionally that comes into it, but predominantly to smooth out things in clothing, you know, so it's, it's very, oh yeah. Stuff. Like a wrinkle that's getting out of control. Yeah, like a wrinkle, especially like, especially on the shoulder, because obviously if you imagine like in a, in a headshot, you know, you have the face sure. and your shoulders. And so for instance, when you have, you know, a shirt that's like a little bit bunched up and you, you have these, these little, you know, folds in there to just iron out and give, you know, to give the shoulder a straight line. The Absolutely. link is beautiful for that, you know, so, Perfect for that. Um, yeah. so I use that, I use that quite regularly on stuff like it's a very, very powerful tool. And of course, I mean, it's extremely powerful because it's, you know, all sorts of different, all sorts of different, yeah. um, you know, beauty therapy you can use that for. <laughs> yep. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Jesse, oh. it's been absolutely amazing to have you on the show. This was so much fun. We definitely have to do that again, 100%. I've got some ideas for some toy photography. Oh my gosh, um, absolutely, stuff. yeah. Give me a call anytime, Chris. <laughs> I, I had a great time being here. Sorry we had miscommunications getting getting connected here at the beginning, but yeah, no, this was oh, a blast. Yeah. I am more than happy to, to sit and chat photography anytime. Thank you so much. Um, Jesse, again, thanks so much for being on the show. Okay, folks, that's all for today. Yet again, my mind is totally blown. But before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you'll like. Check out episode 151 with Dave DeBearmaker for some more incredible toy photography madness. I'm sure you'll love it. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully-fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guests' photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you are on YouTube already, get in touch and leave a comment. And remember to hit the like button, ring the bell, and share with your friends. You can help us reach a greater audience all over the world. Once again, thank you for listening and watching, and I'll see you next Thursday. Bye.